International shipping has always been complex, but in the wake of Brexit, it's become clear that relying on in-house teams to keep up with international laws and regulations is risky, costly, and inefficient. Customs brokerage processing from DDC-FPO helps transportation and logistics companies save money and improve the speed and accuracy of international shipping. Trust DDC to import, audit, and enter data from the point of origin. Identify and correct tariff and tax declarations for all shipments. Match invoices between customers and shippers and correct mistakes. And communicate directly with customers via phone, email, text, or chat in over 30 languages. Our partners report less friction at the border, greater efficiency, and increased compliance. Want to scale your international shipping while reducing risk and maintaining agility? Choose Customs Brokerage Processing from DDC-FPO. Contact us to learn more. And welcome to this episode of Great Quarter, guys. I'm Anthony Smith, lead economist here at Freight Waves, and I'm joined by the one and only Tony Mulvey. Tony, thanks so much for joining us today. And my co-host, I mean, we are, I think, the Tony and Tony duo. It's great to have you in here. Awesome. Thanks, Anthony. Yeah, happy to be here. So, so Tony, we're about to jump into this episode. But before we get too far, we have some amazing people to thank, of course, um, and our, our lovely sponsors. And so kicking it off, we have DDC. And kicking it off, we have to give them a huge shout out because DDC is sponsoring the show. We love what they're doing over there. And if you haven't heard, this episode is brought to you by DDC FPO, best known for freight billing. DDC is a business process outsourcing provider that specializes in freight, now offering customs brokerage processing. Discover how DDC can help you clear customs faster at ddcfpo.com. That is ddcfpo.com. We appreciate their their partnership with us on the show. And we get to have one of their very own here a little bit later on. So a little sneak peek there, a little teaser, because we get to talk to someone from DDC. And I'm excited about that chat. But Tony, I'm excited to talk to you because you are deep in the analysis at all times. We're talking about any kind of research that goes on at Freight Waves. Before we left off last time in the last episode, we were talking about expectations. And we were talking about what's happened thus far in the year. I mean, we're going into Black Friday. I mean, our our comrade here um, that has moved and transitioned elsewhere, Andrew Cox, called this and coined this, of course, the peakiest of all peak seasons. And so going into, of course, this Black Friday, going into this holiday season, this is going to be one of those areas that we were just really kind of speculating about. I think maybe the headlines, there were some surprises for some people. Maybe there weren't too many shocks out here. What's some of the things that you want to dive into first, going over what we've seen thus far and what data is now available? I think the big one that I've seen really is uh, retail sales and Cyber Monday in particular were kind of underwhelming compared to expectations. I think uh, what I saw, uh, Cyber Monday sales fell 1.4% year over year. Uh, In reality, they were supposed to, it's the first time they've fallen. since that became a uh, uh, statistics back in 2012. Uh, so I think we were expecting a little stronger uh, Cyber Monday and retail season than what we've seen so far. Uh, with that said, I mean, you're seeing smaller and smaller discounts on things, which is driving that, that uh, 
the dates, I guess you would say. So Black Friday and Cyber Monday, the smaller discounts, there's not as much incentive to buy necessarily on those days. So we're seeing some more stronger spending, but it's being spread out and not isolated. So I think that's something where expectations were probably a little higher, uh, just given some of the the input costs and inflation uh, factors that that we weren't able to reach those expectations. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, we're looking at uh, some of the trends that we're seeing from the consumer for sure. And our Census Bureau data from retail sales, I think that kind of definitely hints to an earlier start for sure. I mean, we're looking at uh, retail sales. Now, this is going to be a little bit dated, but looking back to the um, November release for October's data, like I said, that's uh, over a month ago we did see an increase in overall retail sales and a 4% bump up in non-store retailers, kind of suggesting that maybe there was a little bit of an earlier start. And like you said, um, fewer incentives to even do a discount because a lot of people are just worried about having that good stocked up and, and really in place for purchase. And now we're seeing um, you know, a lot of consumers really took heed and started pulling their sales or their purchases forward a little bit in order to kind of get ahead of all the supply chain madness that they've been hearing on these headlines that's really been making mainstream news. I mean, when we're looking at it, uh, it's been a very rapid pace. And it is a little bit, you know, alarming when you first see these numbers. I'm sure um, Black Friday, uh, Cyber Monday, I should say, come down on a year-over-year basis. But definitely something to the rapid pace that's continuing to kind of build. Um, what are your expectations when we're looking at... Uh, uh, going forward into you know the latter half of this month. I mean, we did see a really strong start. This is a great quarter, guys. A strong start to the quarter. Um, what are your expectations for moving on throughout the remainder of the year? Because you know, consumer endurance is not done just yet. I mean, we have a lot of factors to kind of talk to when it comes to, of course, inflationary pressures. When we're talking to uh, the amount of spending that's already been done thus far, um, we're looking at credit card usage. Um, what are your expectations for the remainder of the year? I think if you would have asked me a week ago, I would have expected it to stay pretty strong. Uh, right now, I'm a little more hesitant. Uh, just you've got the new variant that uh, I think earlier today you saw first case in the U.S. out in California. So I think, I mean, you're going to see some impacts from that. So that gives me a little pause in in what the consumer may be doing here in the back half of the month. And, and really this whole month, I guess, we're just getting started. Uh, but I mean, you think we've been credit card spending up 16% year over year for the past uh, couple months now. So I mean, it's got to slow down, I would think. I mean, you've you've had the stimulus, like you mentioned, stimulus and spending, some of that kind of expire and we haven't seen a slowdown. So it's a matter, it's coming. It's just a matter of when that's going to happen. Uh, I mean, I think the retail season, uh, the rest of the peak retail season is probably pretty strong. I mean, uh, I've heard reports of inventories improving uh, year over, being up year over year, which, uh, it's a good thing for that shippers brought in stuff. So there is stuff in stock for, for those consumers to go buy. Is it what they necessarily want to buy? Maybe not. But I think what it's set up for just that strong into the retail season. And we may see that slowdown start to happen there in the first quarter of next year. Yeah, I definitely agree with that timeline, Tony. I mean, 
we're looking at, I'm glad you brought up and dove into some of that credit card usage that has really been picking up. That's one of the, 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 the safety nets that I was really looking towards throughout the pandemic, because we did see a huge or a really drastic decline in credit card usage when we look at some of the uh, revolving credit card usage or revolving credit outstanding for U.S. consumers. Now, non-revolving has definitely spiked up uh, a fair amount when you're looking at um, the increased prices for uh, used cars, we're looking at mortgages, of course, student loans ever increasing. Um, but that credit card one is definitely starting to continue to pick up at a very rapid clip. And like you said, that can only go up for so long. Of course, wages are increasing, but that's being really outpaced by the growth of inflation, unfortunately. And it's here to stay for some time. Um, when we're looking forward, for sure, there are factors and, and indices that measure consumer confidence. Um, and they're definitely starting to, you know, really hone in on inflationary pressure fears. That's been one of the big things that, of course, University of Michigan, uh, the confidence board or conference board, I should say, uh, has really outlined, I, sorry, outlined pretty directly um, is those fears of, of uh, inflationary pressures. Now, you mentioned this new uh, COVID variant. I'm sure that's going to factor into some concerns um, kind of moving forward. Do you think that there's going to be some type of um, stamina or fatigue on some of the news as more information around different variants come out that people might just kind of, the fear factor for some people might not be as heightened. Do you think some people are going to just be over it and think it is what it is? We're just going to have a life with Rona. It's everlasting and this is just life now. Or do you think uh, this is going to have a significant impact in some spending um, uh, habits going forward? I think you're definitely going to see some of that fatigue. I mean, uh, I know with Delta, it started to trickle in. Uh, I mean, it was definitely, there was definitely the fear, but it felt like it went away a little faster than, than the first, I guess, the onset of the pandemic, right? So the, the peak, uh, the peak fear to, to where we are now seemed a little shorter. And I think you may see that with as more variants pop up, that timeline get a little shorter. Uh, I do think there's some risk though. Uh, I mean, one of the big ones that, again, that I've looked at is that credit card spending and it's been at groceries. Uh, grocery spending's been down now year over year. And, and what's interesting is you've seen an influx in travel spending. So lodging and airfare are actually both positive, both set new pandemic highs, according to Bank of America. Uh, just last week. So you've seen an influx in spending on in travel, and I think that may continue. Uh, I mean, it may be these variants may give a little pause to that, but I think you're going to see that rebound a little faster than we did, uh, say, a year ago when the pandemic started, or 18 months. Yeah, I think that's a great point there. And uh, I mean, there's other aspects of, you know, this peak season that we're kind of in the midst of. I mean, uh, of course, we look at our OTVI. Some of the results there are really telling to see how the volumes are reacting for this time of the year and, and really showing, you know, how much was done before this week and the week before to really pull in so much stuff and now where we are right now. Um, but of course, it's not just about the U.S. Although 
anyone in the U.S. might think it's all about the U.S. This is a supply chain and it's a global supply chain. And I mean, we have to talk about what's going on internationally. And we have someone that is a very special guest here at uh, Great Quarter Guys at Freight Waves here um, from DDC FPO. We have Chris Curtin, who is the head of customs and logistics services over at DDC FPO. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Good afternoon. Thanks very much for having me. So, Chris, I'm sure you may have heard on some of our talking points here around just what's going on within the peak season, what's going on in the economy. Um, this is all very U.S.-centric, but we know that there is more to the world than just the U.S. There is This is a global supply chain, and there are other events happening throughout the world, um, one of which, of course, Brexit. This is something that's happened uh, and brought up first to the headlines years and years ago, and it's kind of popped up here and there, but now really kind of making headlines once again. Can you talk to how has Brexit been a contributing factor to the global supply chain crunch and the problems that we're experiencing today? Um, so Brexit in and of itself has not necessarily had a material contribution to the problems that we're seeing globally with, with supply chains. Um, obviously, they're well documented, um, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have covered them a number of times, but um, I'll, I'll run over them from my perspective. Um, the main contributing factors to the problems that we see in the global supply chains are um, events that have shorter term consequences, such as the Ever Given blocking the Suez Canal, uh, to much longer term effects, such as COVID, obviously. Um, and uh, the global shortage of truck drivers, which I know is particularly chronic in the UK and the US. So in the UK, we're short of about 90 to 100,000 what we call HGV drivers. Um, and I think that number is about 80,000 for the states. And obviously, um, going back to COVID, COVID's put stress on supply chains in ways that we've just not seen on such a great scale before. And living in a world alongside COVID, the symptoms we're seeing for cargo movements between Asia and the US and Europe, to use them as an example, are high volumes of cargo waiting to be shipped out of Asia. Uh, it gets backed up in factories, container freight stations and ports. Um, we've seen clustering and subsequent delays to vessels um, at ports. Um, as they queue up outside them um, in the US and the UK and Europe in order to discharge their cargo. And then congestion subsequently on the land side operations at ports um, in the US and Europe as their stack, their container stack capacities are reached uh, due to those high cargo volumes and the lack of drivers who are actually available to come and pick up those, those containers. And then moving on to, to COVID lockdowns and outbreaks, obviously that's caused human resourcing shortages. Um, and again, those symptoms that we've observed are factory closures in China, sometimes repeated closures um, that produce goods bound for the US and European markets. Um, Far Eastern ports have been affected by closures or they've been running at significantly reduced capacity um, due, to, uh, due to people catching COVID. Um, and then that's also had a knock on further up the, sorry, a knock on effect further up the supply chain where there's been reduced driver and container freight station labor to, uh, to, to transform stuff containers with goods. So uh, there are a number of other contributing factors um, such as carriers um, in, in 2020 were blanking sailings from their schedules because they predicted that COVID would cause economic slowdown and would reduce the demand of goods um, moving from Asia to the US and Europe. 
But that turned out not to be true, obviously, as uh, we may all have found ourselves stuck in ho- or stuck at home um, and resorting to uh, online shopping to, uh, to, to spend our, our uh, disposable income. Chris, I think you make a good point, especially there at the back end about how we, we spent that disposable income uh, online shopping. I think I know I speak personally that it, it definitely had an impact. Uh, I felt like I was spending a whole lot more uh, online than I typically do, and I still feel that way. So I, part of that goes into, I guess, consumer behavior changes. But I guess one question I've got is how can uh, UK and EU companies ensure that this the UK uh, customs formalities coming into effect here on January 1st uh, don't compound the woes that are already being caused in the global supply chain? Sure, it's a, a very good question. So um, obviously when the UK left the EU in early 2020, it also left the EU's customs union, which meant that customs declarations are required for all goods. Uh, moving between the UK and EU and subsequently payment of uh, taxes and duties where applicable has come into effect as well. In order to give UK companies extra time to prepare for the requirement to make these customs declarations, the UK implemented a scheme of easements uh, called Stage Customs Controls or SCC as I'll refer to it for the sake of ease. And SCCs have reduced the burden of customs formalities on companies importing goods to the UK from the EU throughout 2021. And this has enabled goods to flow freely into the UK in a manner that reflects the the low bureaucracy controls and conditions of the pre-Brexit freight world. Stage customs controls were only ever temporary, and as such, on the 1st of January 2022, they will end. Uh, so unless the UK government decides to implement easements to replace stage customs controls on the 1st of January, then full customs formalities will be required for all goods moving into the UK from the EU. This will mean that customs declarations... Um, will need to be made, and more critically, customs clearance will need to be synchronised with the movement of the goods as they move through the UK border. At the moment, that does not have to happen. You can submit a customs declaration after the goods have moved through the UK border. So subsequently, as of January next year, if goods fail to be cleared in a timely manner, it's going to lead to them being delayed at the border, which will cause supply chain problems, um, particularly for industries using JIT processes. Um, It will lead to potential congestion at ports. And then, of course, inevitably additional cost in terms of money, time and resource to resolve those delays. Um, it's worthwhile keeping in mind it's not just all about the 1st of January. Um, throughout 2022, the UK is also going to be phasing in sanitary and phytosanitary controls on certain goods from the EU, uh, such as those that are products of animal origin. Um, so overall, the, uh, the burden of importing and exporting goods between the UK and EU will significantly increase as of the, the 1st of January. So, Chris, I absolutely love your background because it's really helpful to, I think you've had a commercial background, you've been, you know, customer solutions, things like that. And when you look at that aspect, there are a lot of variables at play. And I think it transforms and translates amazingly to what you are tasked to do and really kind of oversee here 
at DDC, I mean, when you're looking at the global supply chain, it is definitely intricate indeed. And so taking that a level deeper, because this all has to fit together, how can global freight forwarders and international 3PLs or transportation providers with companies with operations in the UK and and, and the, the EU ensure that full UK customs formalities coming um, into effect on the 1st of January don't compound the woes that are already going to be, I guess, expected or caused um, by the global supply chain um, uh, problems right now? Sure. Um, so, I mean, there are a number of key steps that uh, companies can take to ensure they're as ready for these additional burdens of customs formalities when they come into effect, uh, such as, more importantly, uh, most importantly, sorry, uh, know what goods you're likely to be moving between the UK and the EU. Um, ensure you know the correct commodity codes for those goods that you intend to move. Understand what additional documentation is going to be required to achieve customs clearance of those goods, both from an import and an export perspective. So that would be documentation such as health certificates, import or export licenses and declarations of origin. Uh, understand what additional physical checks may take place on your goods so that you can plan lead times accordingly. So if you're supplying goods or if you're buying goods and you need to have them by a specific time, you need to understand that there may be extra delays um, brought in due to the additional physical checks. From a cost perspective, obviously, you need to understand what taxes and duties your goods will attract um, because there will now be uh, duty and VAT on, on uh, um, certain goods moving between the UK and EU. Um, you need to do things like um, following understanding what taxes and duties you might have to pay. Uh, you have to uh, look at things like applying for a duty deferment account uh, with HM Revenue and Customs if you think you'll need one. Um, and then there are some, some fundamental questions that you need to ask yourself as well in light of the customs burdens. Um, and that's to determine if you're going to complete the customs declarations yourself or if you're going to uh, use a customs broker. Um, and, and following on from that, check that your suppliers are ready as well. It's all very well and good looking at your own preparation for full customs formalities. Um, but obviously, if the people that you're purchasing your goods from or selling your goods to or that you've contracted to carry those goods are unprepared, um, then things are still going to get a bit sticky. So ask your suppliers what preparations have they done. But overall, don't underestimate the burden that the additional customs formalities will bring. Awesome, Chris. That I think it shows how many different. I think what you, the background you just gave, gives an idea of what uh, what these companies are facing with here in the in the next a month from now, really. Uh, so I guess the important question is: the industry ready for for January first? Uh, and, and these custom formalities, the formalities uh, that are to come? Um, that, that's an interesting question. And I think you would get a different answer dependent on who you spoke to. But from my experience, uh, there's a patchwork pattern of readiness in the UK for the new customs um, controls coming in on the 1st of January 2022. Uh, so some companies are as ready as they can be. And I say that because there is still a, a significant degree of uncertainty around how certain things will operate at the border. Um, there's still last minute preparations being made, not just by the industry, but by UK government um, and ports and, uh, and carriers that are you know, such as ferry operators. 
um, that actually will be carrying the goods across the channel. Um, and then, of course, there will be uh, uh, people who haven't engaged in Brexit preparation at all. Um, I mean, in terms of what does a, a good um, or a well-prepared company look like in terms of, of being Brexit ready, um, obviously, it's a combination of the, uh, the questions that we covered um, uh, a second ago. Um, but then also um, there's a sort of a, a, a broader reaching um, or wider ranging, sorry, um, element to, to, um, to think about. And that's, you know, you've really got to become interested in customs and logistics if you are now moving goods between the UK and EU. It all happened very smoothly before Brexit. It's not going to be as smooth now. So you'll need to do things like become literate in customs terminology. You don't have to be an expert, but at least understand what people are talking about when, when, they, uh, when they're talking to you about customs declarations. Have a plan for approaching your Brexit readiness and keep the plan updated to ensure it's still relevant by employing a proactive uh, engagement policy for your customs and regulatory activities. Uh, understand how new rules of origin um, are, are going to work for UK and EU movements and if your goods are eligible for duty-free movement under those new rules. Um, understand in the UK how things like simplified import VAT accounting can benefit your business and its cash flow. Um, and uh, more critically as well, um, underpinning obviously all, all movements throughout any supply chain is the data. So the data is crucial. So make sure you've ensured that you've got all of the data to hand that allows your goods to move through frontiers. Um, and then you will be able to, to approach and, and solve the problem of, for UK imports in particular, understanding what customs model your goods will be moving under, um, as that's crucial. Chris, we need to have you back. This is unfortunately the end of the Great Quarter Guys episode. We have so much to talk about. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode, and we'll be sure to have you back. Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you very much. Thank you.